today we have Polly Maharan, and previously we had Sean in, who is Polly's husband. He was episode three or four, three. Derek saying three. Uh, so we're gonna go back a little bit and then lead up to where Polly's at now. She's working with OSIS on the family side of things, helping veterans and their families. Um, we've heard Sean's story from his side. I'd love to hear Polly's <laughs> version of a bit of it. Uh, and we don't really get to hear too much about the family side. Uh, being at home, you get to go to Germany. That's a little bit different than mm -hmm. anything from our area, Dave. I wish I had that. Yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> um, but if we go back to when you guys first met... And it, so I know Polly, I'll back it up to you. I know Polly, we've known each other for a long time. Same with Sean. So I'm going to try and make it seem like I don't know you so we can get the good details here. Um, but I believe you guys were together before you joined the military? No. No, after. Yeah. But you were so young bucks then. We were. So uh, we did go to the same high school. Okay. Um, however, we didn't date or anything in high school. I met him uh, after he was in the military home on leave. And so it was a long distance relationship. He was posted to Gagetown then. And so we started seeing each other for, he was home for about three weeks. Then I went to Gagetown for a week. Um, and then he actually left for Germany. And so our whole two years that we were um, dating was long distance. The most we were together was probably about six months. Um, I spent four months in Germany with him in 1990. And then we got married in Germany in 1991. Wow. So uh, I was 21 and he was 23. And um, yeah, what, so that's where our adventure started. What were you doing when he was in the military? Where were you at here? Were you here in Hamilton then? Yeah, so I was here in Hamilton. Uh, my parents had a business, so I was working for my parents. Um, and we were trying to have a wedding here in Canada, but it just wasn't mushing with uh, what when he could get leave and when I could get the church and the hall and so he just said hey do you want to get married here and a month later we were getting married in in Lar so that's amazing. I was just gonna ask you what town uh, yeah we got married in Lar, Lar. mm-hmm yeah on base or outside the base uh, we had to get married both because you can't uh, we had to get married at City Hall first so we got married on the okay. 21st and then we had our our church wedding at the base uh, on the 23rd. So he has two days, you know, in March <laughs> to to decide which anniversary we're celebrating. As long as he's hitting yeah, one yeah, of them, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. As long as he hits one. Back then, it, things are a lot different than they are now as well with technology, communication. Yeah. What about your parents? What were they thinking <laughs> when you were like, okay, well, I'm going to leave the family business now and go run away with this army guy to Germany? <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, it was different because I'm the baby of four kids. And uh, so, but my parents were supportive. Um, military, they were not familiar with military life at all. Neither was I. So it was, you know, um, really just walking into a whole new world. Um, and Germany was fun. Um, I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> you know, we traveled a bit um, and went out a lot. Uh, we were probably one of three married couples in our group of friends. So I think there was three women at my wedding and the rest were all men. Um, and, uh, but we were our own family, right? So I think that was my first sense of that military community and that military taking care of each other, that military family aspect. Um, and we're still to this day very close to the people that he served with in Germany. 
do you think that it's different than being here and posted to do a base here? Like, you still have your friends and stuff, but I guess it's a little bit different when you're in a different country and you don't get to travel and go back home as easy. Uh, so you guys probably, that's probably why you're still so close I, now, I right? think so, because it was, I mean, Sundays, you know, I would cook lasagna and the guys would all come over and, you know, have lasagna day and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so it was just, it was just that family, family atmosphere. Holly, I gotta ask you, what did you think of when they would have the bug outs? Uh, well, you know, again, it was, it was learning like three weeks after we got married, he had to go to exercise for six weeks. I had just learned to drive standard, our, our 74 Super Beetle. And, uh, you know, nice. so I was left alone kind of like to get around and do things. And in I was the narrow new to, streets in the Germany. narrow streets in and Germany. all of that kind of, yeah, in Germany. Wow. So, um, yeah, so it was definitely different for me. Uh, but you get used of it pretty quick because that's what you marry into, so. And how long were you in Germany with your husband for the entire for, time? Or? For two years. So he was there from 89 to 92, and I, I got there in 91, and we left at the end of 92. Wow. Um, so, and I was pregnant for our first son when we left. We got posted to Ottawa. Again, it wasn't a normal posting for him because he, uh, he was with the Hazars in Germany. Um, so he would have either gone to Petawawa, normally Gagetown, or Calgary. Uh, but we, he went to Ottawa to the Leedy at the time was Land Engineering Testing Establishment. Um, so that was good because we were in Ontario. Um, so Connor was born, uh, we landed November 17th and Connor was born December 11th, uh, 92. So we didn't, we had just gotten our PMQ, we had just gotten our furniture <laughs> and uh, knew really no one in Ottawa. Um, but you know, we survived. So nobody from Germany that was posted with him ended up going where you guys went? No, but what, what was good was in the next couple of years was everybody coming back from Germany would go through Ottawa. So we would get to see people, oh, cool. you know, in their transition flights and stuff. But so, something's about to happen here because he's getting deployed again. Well, so yeah, so in, uh, in 94, uh, he was posted to Petawawa with the RCDs and Leedy was closing. So uh, they didn't have a PMQ right away, so he got posted in June, and Connor and I stayed in Ottawa till I think mid-August, and then, uh, then we moved uh, to Petawawa when they had a PMQ, but he was already doing the workup for Bosnia. And um, so uh, I quit my job in Ottawa, uh, moved to Petawawa and didn't really get to know anybody because he was leaving and we made the decision that I would come home to Hamilton and live for six months because I was like I don't really want to live in Petawawa for the winter so yeah so uh, you know tours back then were much different again it was a UN tour uh, there was no internet or uh, cell phones so I got a call once a week. If I missed that call, I didn't talk to him. So I got to ask you this, just because our last episode did, was about a battle that was that happened over there okay. and was kept quiet. Mm -hmm. I probably know the answer. Did you have any idea before Sean's getting deployed? Sean didn't even know. Remember? No. We asked him about that, and he said there was rumors and rumblings, but they didn't even know going in. So, of course, the family doesn't know. You're not getting anything <laughs> out of the news or... No, we're getting nothing. So as far as I was concerned, I was, you know, meeting my friends, 
uh, interacting with my family. Um, I was pregnant for our second child during his tour. Um, and he came home for Christmas that year. Um, and so again, it was very normal, you know, just kind of doing the family stuff and that. Uh, and then he went back, you know, there was care packages and a lot of letter writing. Um, but again, it wasn't in the news. There was nothing. And there was nothing afterwards when he got back as far as debriefing or debriefing for families or anything like that. There was no, um, you know, there might have been an MFRC on the base in Petawawa at the time, but I was never... What's an MF? Uh, Military Family Resource Center. So... Well, you're living out of a suitcase almost like you're you're all over the place yeah we were germany ottawa <laughs> petawawa hamilton within a couple of years yeah. all with a new new child it's a and one coming buddy like, family like, that yeah. is wild that's i have a question about the phone calls yeah if they're that spread out are your conversations strictly like i love you i miss you or are you trying to find out details like what are you doing or there was no details no there was no details there was no it was you know how's connor how's your parents yeah. how's this um really they weren't long phone calls because there was another guy waiting behind him to call somebody right um, it, yeah. so you know it was like could you send this in my you know next care package yeah. i need candy to give out or I need cup of soup or whatever it is you know um, and that that was really it it was really low key I really I was very very naive because I, I had most, no yeah. I had no idea it, to course. me it was a UN peacekeeping tour and he was fine he was just doing his job so then you guys really never had a prolonged period of time of being in Canada as a family, as a unit, like you guys didn't really get that for how long do you think until you had that opportunity? Years, right? Like, yeah, because I mean, really um, after he got back it was uh, end of contract um, and it was the 90s and there wasn't, you know, really the uh, promotions weren't happening, he couldn't remuster um, so it was a decision that we both made together that we were going to move home. We had a young family. Uh, he anticipated that he would either go into policing, fire, or corrections, which, you know, he did interview and did testing. And then, again, there was some hiring freezes there. So he ended up in a factory, mm. right? So, again, what our expectations were and what happened when we came home were two different things. Um, and really about six months after getting out, he started to have the symptoms that you know now you know I, I know what they are but then I was like I, I have no idea what what and you guys what didn't have is. that time together to go like okay where's like the adjustments and stuff like it's chaotic yeah yeah it was it was chaotic but I mean again it was just life it was we were young so it was like yeah you just roll with the punches right and um, so we went through that for about four years of just kind of not knowing and he went to the doctors and you know, because sleep was really sort of the biggest, um, the biggest indicator for us, like the, you know, um, and the doctor just gave him some sleeping pills and said, here you go, you know, there was no, do you need counseling or maybe it's mental health related or anything like that. Um, and he had a lot of smell triggers. So, you know, he would say, do you smell that? And I'm like, 
no, I don't smell that. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're smelling, right? Um, and for him, it was, you know, burning or yeah. something like that, right? And, and I couldn't use certain cleaners in the house. But it wasn't until wow. years later um, when he started to share some of details with me um, <laughs> that, you know, I understood why I couldn't use bleach in the house. So like, that's a lot of his his Sean's struggles when he came back and leading up to that. I'm curious about your situation though, because you're a young mom who mm-hmm. goes pre- long periods of time on her own, and it's got to be hard to have anyone step back in or uh, come in and be a part of the family, and then you got to kind of adjust your routine, mm-hmm. your patterns. Did you find that to be a struggle too? Um, probably not, because Sean didn't really step back into those roles. Right. Gotcha. He really, I really felt uh, for a number of years, and actually even after his diagnosis, that I was a single parent in a two-parent family, mm-hmm. um, because you know I was really the one responsible for the kids. Um, you know, there was times where I didn't feel comfortable leaving him with the kids uh, because his anger was out of control and stuff, um, or he would go missing in action for days because, you know, that was his coping, you know, know get, go out with the boys and, you know, all my troubles are going to go away. But, you know, he had this raving lunatic of a wife when he came home, you know. Um, and again, we really didn't associate, I really never associated any of it to the military, to the tour until he was diagnosed. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you find that looking back now, did you have any struggles with, feeling like you kind of had another kid at some point? So. Oh, totally. I still, t- still, still sometimes. <laughs> I'll say, yeah, this is, these are my two sons, and that's, yeah, my third, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's, like, it, we, this is one thing that I've noticed that uh, in when we talk about veterans and stuff, we definitely always deflect the veteran and talk about his symptoms or her mm-hmm. symptoms, and it kind of gets lost in translation what everyone else is going mm-hmm. through at those times too. Mm-hmm. But the family's experience is absolutely huge. And I, I believe Veterans Affairs and the Legion are definitely really big on, or even the military as well, is focusing more on the families nowadays because they understand that it's not just the member. Like, yeah, they have the symptoms and they're going through the troubles, but someone's, it's going to reflect on somebody. And who is that? And that's, the family at home waiting or you mm-hmm. know dealing with that Wardrow doesn't read the Coles notes but Polly works on the family side with hosts which is amazing well yeah, yeah. You, you said that earlier I wasn't gonna yeah yeah spill the beans Paul, like, I thought we were yeah. gonna lead to that Polly I gotta ask this too as you said a lot of this you feel came from the tour <clears throat> he did kind of two tours one was a posting to Germany and the other is Bosnia would yeah. you say that was if you had to give it a percentage I would say Germany, no. I mean, Germany to me was fun and games. People might not like to hear that. I don't know. I mean, that's my interpretation of it. Well, there was repercussions sitting on the other side of the border. Yeah, um, there was. And, and, you know, there was certain things. He had to be ready 24-7 and all of that kind of stuff. But I felt very safe there. Um, I worked on the base, I worked at Canex, um, you know, so I, I integrated myself into that military community when I was in Germany. Um, and then, you know, Ottawa again, because 
we weren't really posted to a base, so we lived in Rockcliffe in, in military housing. So we met some neighbors and stuff, but there really wasn't, again, that close-knit military community where I had a unit of spouses, you know, and stuff. And the same with Petawawa. There was some people that we knew from Germany, so, you know, we would get in touch with them or, or get together with them, but it really, I still felt sort of on the outside of that military community. Um, I probably had more in common with the guys just because I had always been around the guys, right? His and, friends. And Sean's trade is a predominantly male trade as well. Yeah, so and there was still, we were young, mar- we were married young, right? So a lot of people didn't get married till till long after us right so did you find that it was hard for yourself to make friends being in these different military communities like i would assume that it's mostly sean's buddy's girlfriend or yeah my uh you know my maid of honor was i met her this summer before uh we got married uh because again uh, sean was good friends with her husband um and it was a, a really small world because he grew up uh he was from the windsor area and he grew up on a street across from my great aunt and actually did her lawn and stuff you know so we start talking and it's like you you're from there oh this is this is my you know this is my history my my family and stuff right so um but I really didn't know her as per se and she was I think eight months pregnant with their first child um when she was my maid of honor right um because we didn't have any family at our wedding it was just us and you know 50 guys Few, few, few girls, but you know. And then the technology again—it's you're not. It's, it's a lot harder to stay in touch with people, and in your case, girlfriends. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it was letter writing or calls, but I mean, calls were expensive. You know, long distance and stuff like that, right? So, um, yeah, and I think going—you know—again in Ottawa, similar. Um, unless you have something right in common with yeah. somebody's spouse, it's mm-hmm. you might not click. Mm-hmm. What? Is the feeling like when you know that your spouse is going to another part of the world that's a hostile area? What's like that? There's got to be some... Because you have the workup training. That's got to be like, okay, it's getting real. And then it's like, okay, now I'm saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. And you already have your one child and you have one on the way as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um... You got to feel a little overwhelmed. I, I, I guess I was. I, looking back, I don't really... I don't really recall me having any major anxiety or anything. Again, I really, I think I was naive to the whole UN peacekeeping mm. piece, right? Sounds so, so good. Yes. <laughs> so it was really, he was there to keep the peace. You know, they weren't engaging in anything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. The image right? on media is, Exactly. Yeah. So I, I really think I was naive. And I think the other piece was I came back and I was really well supported by my family. So, um, you know, I lived with my sister. Her kids were growing up at the time. Um, so Connor got close to his cousins. You know, it was it was just, um, yeah, it, it, I, I had that support, yeah. not military-wise, but I had the support from my, from my family. And that's going to be hard for them because they don't fully understand the military either, right? You're not no. from a military family that... Yeah, so how do you connect with someone if you are having a bad day? Yeah, well, again, I think that kind of came more after the fact, for me anyway. Um, You know, um, I think over his tour, it was just really positivity. 
um, that everything was going to be okay because again I didn't really realize that he was in a lot of danger <laughs> yeah. I didn't really realize you know he was in the middle of people shooting over top of him and you know doing yeah. body exchanges and different things like that um, so so that wasn't there um, but if you speed up to you know after he was diagnosed um, when was that yeah so um, He's probably told you that story, but I always say it's a funny story because uh, I don't he think met a. Did give us dates or anything. He, uh, like that. So he he met a guy in a bar. Right? Oh yes, yes, yes. And yep. um, and it's a true story, right? Yeah. And so people were doing peer support before peer support was you know the thing to do where they had a name for it. Tom said he's going to come on the podcast, so we'll say it's Tom. And uh, so, <laughs> so it is Tom. Together, yeah. And um, <laughs> so again, Sean didn't know him. Was driving somebody home from work. They went to this local bar that Tom hung out at, he started talking to Sean, and uh, he was a Strat, Sean was an RCD, so they knew some mutual people. Tom had been shot on the tour right before Sean, so Sean had heard of that. And um, so anyway, that started clicking, and then Tom started asking him questions, like, how are you sleeping? How's your anger? What's this? And Sean's like, how are you in my head? Like, this is really, you know, kind of weird questions for you to be asking me, right? And, you know, Sean was honest with him about, you know, his sleeping and different things. And he's like, you know, we need to get you to Veterans Affairs. And Sean's like, well, I'm 31. Like, I'm, I'm not a veteran. I, I don't need to go to Veterans Affairs. And he's like, no, no, you do. You do. So he convinced him to go to Veterans Affairs. He had an assessment. He was diagnosed with PTSD. That was June of 1999. 99. In 99, I was working, oh, I fell into the automotive industry when I got back, um, just because uh, I worked as a part-time receptionist at a Ford dealership, because it worked around the kids and stuff, and then uh, full, went full-time uh, in the collision center, doing uh, administrative and stuff, and then I think in 99, I was either... I don't know if I was still at Ford or if I was at Chrysler because once you get into the automotive you start jumping <laughs> dealerships right so and then I got into the service side of things and I was a, a service advisor um, and I worked in automotive till uh, 20, uh, 2006 on and off um, so because I think a big piece is like him being diagnosed and then how you ended up with OSIS that a lot of people don't know the different options and how a spouse can then Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I love yeah, that. So, yeah, so he gets diagnosed in 99. Um, I'm like, yay, there's something wrong with him. He's not just, <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it was really a relief for me because I, I couldn't understand the behaviors. And so, At you know, because I, I did know him prior to, you know, prior to going over and, and, and we had started a life together and stuff. So I knew that you know, he was off, he wasn't the same, and he had more aggression, and he had, um, you know, he was just very quick-tempered, and would withdraw, and then isolate, and, you know, numb to emotions and things. Self-medicating. Um, Self-medicating, yeah. right? So... Compounding problems. <laughs> exactly. So, so really, you know, again, I was still very naive in the whole thing of mental health then, because... Yes, he was diagnosed with PTSD, but what does that mean now? He's going to go to a psychologist, and they're going to fix him. That's what I thought. And this was a few years after the fact of him releasing the Yeah, this was four years. Yeah. So for four years, he did the self-medicating. Um, we did a lot of fighting. I would imagine um, you're barely holding on to this relationship. Uh, yeah, we, we split up, actually, in that time. I think we split up in 96 for about six months. 
Um, and again, it wasn't because I d didn't love him. It was just the behavior that I couldn't handle. Um, you know, we got back together, um, tried to do a little bit of marriage counseling. You know, that wasn't fantastic at the time because, again, he wasn't diagnosed. It was, it was just really, you know, it just didn't work. You're still trying to figure out what the root of the problem is. Exactly. Exactly. So, so after his diagnosis, um, again, you know, he started seeing a psychologist. Um, we started, you know, understanding it a little bit more. But I really started to dive into books and articles and information because I was like, I want to know more. I want to understand. It's supportive. You know, yeah, it's all support, right? Right. You're, you're, and um, so you know those years were sometimes a blur <laughs> and sometimes not um and i think you know at the beginning he wasn't as invested and engaged into in therapy as he could have been but again i think, I think that's that's, that's happens with most people that i see right um Especially again there's that era. there's an acceptance piece right and you know, he stopped talking to anybody that was in the military because he felt weak and, you know, he didn't want, he felt judged. And Stigma. Because so. you Stigma. had to go through a battle school and a basic training where you couldn't show anything. Yeah. Well, and, that, and like I'm saying, that generation, that time frame, that was kind of like looked at as weakness, like suck mm -hmm. it up, buttercup, you know what I mean? Like carry mm -hmm. on. Like, whereas today it's a totally different. Story. Exactly, exactly. So for the kids and I, it was really trial and error. I mean, I did a lot of mitigating and like, shh, dad's sleeping and don't make noise and you can't have your friends over and, you know, made excuses for him not going to family functions. Um, so, I've, been, I've been there. <laughs> so, you know, we did a lot of that. And there was also, I was, I was pretty honest with my family at the beginning and, um, you know, if they're going to listen to this... I think it's inevitable that they were a little bit judgmental because I was the baby of the family um, and they didn't like what they saw me going through. You 100%. know, it's hard. They also um, don't understand either. There's a lack of knowledge of right. what he's going through too. But I have to say, you know, in the long run, and I didn't have this peer support piece. I didn't yeah. have, I didn't, I wasn't connected to any friends in the military. So I really didn't have that, that piece to let it go because even my girlfriends were like, well, then just leave him. Just, you know, he, he's not treating you well or he's, you know, not doing this. But it was like, no, there's, there's more going on here, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so that was my biggest struggle. And even, you know, with Veterans Affairs and getting involved with them, he was very much the client, mm -hmm. right? And so they really didn't really know what to do with us right so we were a young family so we got you know that the thing to us was a lot is we're breaking new ground you know you're breaking new ground because we don't deal with a lot of young families because it was just sort of that oh, era where bosnia yeah. was mm -hmm. coming right and i was kind of pushy <laughs> so you know i was like i want counseling i i you know the kids need to see somebody and stuff um luckily you know during this time in the early 2000s sean was working at westinghouse and they had really great benefits and stuff so you know they hooked me up with a really great uh counselor at the time um and they were really empathetic of his situation you know he had to be off work for a while um he had a suicide attempt in there so um you know uh he was in uh, mac for six weeks uh and then he went to bellwood um so all of that is a process again as well because you know when he was at mac um, well, he missed his sister's wedding. 
Um, uh, I did take the kids there once. <laughs> they didn't want to go back. But it was really important for me to show them where dad was, mm -hmm. right? And, and this is mental health. This is, this is life, right? Mm -hmm. And at that time... This is your reality. This, at that time, they were probably... Oh, 2001. Connor was nine or eight, and, you know... It's probably hard to understand. Mitchell was oh, about yeah. seven, right? I'm sure if it was now, they go, oh, dad's, like, trying to help himself and yeah. make things better, where it's probably just uncomfortable for them then not I, really knowing, right? I think it was, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, and they probably have a totally different story, you know, of, of their recollection we'll get of get the things. whole family on here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it's... Um, yeah, so I think, you know, if we fast forward kind of, um, because I could go on forever in yeah. regards to Sean's done a lot of different treatments. Um, 2007 was sort of a turning point where he went to Homewood for the PTSD program and was really engaged, um, really um, loved the mindfulness um, in helping him with his anger and stuff like that. I went to the family program both at Homewood and Bellwood. Um, so I encourage families to do that because, I mean, again, if you don't understand what they're going through, they can do really good in a rehab facility because they're in a controlled environment, right? Yeah. They're, it's like the military. They're told what to do, when to do it, how Structure, to do it, oh, yeah. and given their meals, right? And then you get home and you have all this chaos with kids and, you know, hockey practice and work and financial stress and all of that kind of stuff, right? And, and that's that's what the family lives with right so even when they're going to a clinician the clinician sees them for an hour a week i'm with them 24 7 right so give me some tools was yeah. always my cry for help right give me some tools help me understand how i could better support him right um and so in 2007 actually uh he was deemed at the time it was called totally permanently incapacitated TPI through Veterans Affairs, which is now DEC, um, and um, which meant he couldn't work. So um, they offered me the vocational piece because um, the rehab plan had changed, had been brought in in 2006 with the new charter. And so I went back to school uh, in 2009 for a community service worker because I was like, wow, I might as well put all this life experience to use mm -hmm. okay. um, and try to help other people. Um, and so I started volunteering with the uh, Military Family Resource Center out of London on their um, board of directors and, uh, and I started volunteering with OSIS. So that was how I started to get involved with the OSIS program. Can you, uh, what OSIS stands for? Sure. And, yeah. So OSIS is uh, Operational Stress Injury Social Support Program, and we've actually been around since 2001. Um, and then the family side came on in 2005 because they realized, again, it wasn't just the veteran or the member that needed support, it was the family as well. Um, so I like to say we're the best kept secret in NATO because really a lot of people haven't heard about us still, right? Don't know that we exist, even though... I'm included in that. <laughs> even though we do briefings to reserve units, we do briefings at SCAN seminars, we, um, you know, we, we brief all the time, right? Yeah. But again, um, until you need it, you don't think about it, right? That's so exactly you might be present, and, and I know we did a lot of um, pre and post briefings with Afghanistan, um, you know, I, I, going down to the armies, I was there quite often, um, doing briefings. We, you know, it was the traveling roadshow with Veterans Affairs, uh, the IPSC at the time, which is now the Transition Centers, 
um, the Military Family Resource Center, us, uh, the social worker, and we used to go and sort of give everybody, these are the resources that you may or may not need and your family may or may not need, right? Um, so that was really when I started to sort of feel like, okay, these people understand me. You know, I, I've, I've kind of found that little bit of a niche. And in 2011, um, I was offered a contract position and then I was hired about 11 months after that. So it worked out really well. Um, so I've been with the program for nine years now. And I love my job. I really couldn't see myself doing anything else now. Um, I love that I can take a really dark place in my life and put a different lens on it. Nice. and help make the road a little less bumpy. I mean, you got to go through your own bumps. Mm -hmm. I can't take them away from you because that's life learning. Um, but sometimes you need that navigation piece. Yeah. It's definitely, you're looking at me like, <laughs> <laughs> so I can, I can see some sort of connection here. So <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, yes. So I'll go into how Polly and I know each other and it's going back to where I had a very rough go coming back from tour, and uh, as we know from when I shared my, my stuff. Um, and it's actually my family who ended up finding out about mm -hmm. OSIS, and uh, uh, a lot of it's a blur for me, to be honest, too. Mm -hmm. You might remember a little bit better than I do. Um, but they pretty much saved my life. Like the, It was a team of you guys that actually mm -hmm. took it on, and... Yeah, like, and my family were going through hell too, mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of hell, <clears throat> and to the point where like I, I like, it, it was it was hell. I, it's hard to talk about it, but mm -hmm. uh, my family was were lucky. I'm lucky that I had a support network that I cared so much to go out and talk to anyone mm -hmm. they could and find anyone they could, and Polly went above and beyond, uh, making sure that I was safe and had some connections and resources and then a team of people ended up mm -hmm. making sure that <clears throat> I didn't just get booted to the curb by the military in the end um, and really got me help even when I was uh, very uh, stubborn hard to work with didn't want to listen <laughs> didn't give a, honestly I, I didn't give a fuck to be blunt about anything at that time of my life um, and these people just fought for me um, and, and same with my family so there, uh, through the last 10 years of me going through all these different things, I can say that there's so many different organizations uh, and people out there, and it's they're stepping stones almost. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're with OSIS, uh, I'll let Polly share more about what OSIS is, but if you take advantage of those, not take advantage, but if you, you access those resources and participate in them, it's, it doesn't mean that you have to stay with that forever, but it definitely will point you or lead you into another direction where it's like, okay, now I'm ready to take this on. And mm -hmm. there's, like you said, it's the best kept secret. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Worst kept secret, I guess. Or, no, best. How does that work? Anyways, I'm flustered. I can do it. No, but there's some of But when you share that, you know there's that veteran that's listening to this that maybe one, like, a certain or a family person, member, I hope. I've been there. Like, yeah. And you sharing that, you know, they're just going, you know what? Hey, that's done. Like, maybe I better reach out and call. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of bending the rules I would say as well and being in the military you're used to like it's black and white cut and dry mm -hmm. it's either you're with us or you're not with us and having these people step in like Polly, where they can start going okay well that's not really how this is going to work now 
like this mm-hmm. person needs help and we're gonna get them help and then it's like oh you can do that to the military oh but you Thank don't you. know that. Yeah. Right. And it's not like it, it, to the military. It's more like, okay, he's not a number anymore. He's a human and let's take care of him. And you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Right? Mm-hmm. So hindsight's twenty twenty, And, um, you know, it's, it's, I started to get emotional when you started to talk about, because, you know, you were probably one of my first, uh, definitely complex cases. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it was really... I mean, it's been such a, a blessing, actually, watch you grow, Matt, and watch you on your journey, and where you are now, and the relationship that you have with your kids, um, because I saw you in that dark place, and it was scary. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, even though you were uh, not always... Um, receptive? Receptive. You were <laughs> resistant. Yeah. Um, we did have a great team and and that's really what i i really love about osis is is sometimes it's really about helping people navigate the system whether it's veterans affairs or the military um you know so tapping into the transition center um we're actually now integrated right into the transition center um so we're under the command of of the transition center our program is both D and veterans affairs funded so we're a joint collaborative program um and really the cornerstone of our program is confidentiality right so when someone comes to us we're we're not going to tell the chain of command we're not going to you know without your permission and your consent right so like in your situation i remember actually you coming with your mom to the veterans affairs office um, and you know, when I started hearing your story, I'm like, oh my God, like this can't be. And, you know, so right away I knew I had to call somebody, the service coordinator at the, at the IPSC. So we called, uh, Gary and, uh, you talked to him right there. You came in my office and, and you had a chit chat and then it was starting the ball rolling, right? Cause it was that consent that Gary could look into some things and, you know, and we could get you posted where you need to get posted and, and start that. So again, not every situation works out, you know, um, that easily, uh, even though it didn't seem easy at the time. Yeah. Um, so but, you were still in at the time. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening was I got into legal trouble because, I, like I said, I didn't care. I stopped caring about everything and everyone, and I was out east, I was alone, and I kept on putting it, like I would put in for compassionate posting. I put in, like I tried absolutely everything I had an ex I think colonel helping me and saying like okay well that didn't work then you do this so it's like I'm, def- I'm I feel defeated it's like I'm telling you that I need that and I stopped caring about everything uh, and I really went downhill really quick drugs alcohol getting in fights at the bar like really just didn't care about anything <clears throat> that caught up to me in the military you can't really do that right so uh, they were determined to get me out to the point that I got in trouble in Petawawa, I wasn't allowed leaving Ontario. Well, Gagetown's going, you need to be here at the end of your leave, or else you're AWOL. The court's saying I can't. They're wanting me there. My parents are going, like, what? What? he's damned if he does, and he's damned if he doesn't. Uh, so then they're like, okay, well then VR. And then at the time, I was like, okay. And then my parents were like, wait a minute, this isn't like... You're getting bullied here, essentially. It's like David versus Goliath. And they're going, not only that, it's obvious my son needs help. Like, this isn't my son anymore. <clears throat> and uh, that was kind of where my parents started really stepping in. And uh, and then I think it would have crushed 
I, I was on I was teetering on the edge. Let's, mm-hmm. I was either going to jail for life or I was dying. Like that was that was it, um, and that would have crippled my family as well. Uh, even just the process of trying to get in communication with the military, trying to it's they they're kind of done with you, and it sounds harsh, but it's when you're on that in that position, that's certainly how it feels. I'm not saying that is, but that's how it feels. But it um, felt like thank you, service sailor. That's kind of, yeah, that's how it felt. And it was like, hey, there's something wrong here. Like, at least let him, like, figure himself out, get some help. Um, and it just didn't seem like they cared anymore. Uh, and that's where my family finally found Paulie and them. And then it took a huge load off of everyone. Mm-hmm. It was like, now we have a team fighting for us. Like, it wasn't just me at that that's point. Awesome. It was my family, mm-hmm. too. My family was like, oh, fuck, like, finally I can, like, stop dialing all sorts of numbers, trying to hound people. These people are, like, they're, they care, too. Like, they're going out of their way. Yeah, listening to your mom's story, talking about how your dad drove out to Gagetown twice mm-hmm. because he was worried about you. Like, that's, yeah. that's wild, man. And that's reality. So if there's people out there listening, like, you, you definitely need to tap into these resources, whether if you're in the military or out of the military. This is important stuff. They're not calling the base command anymore. No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, uh... That's the one thing that, that it's upsetting to see is that not everyone has that support network. Like, I'm super blessed in the sense that my family cared so much. They wanted to see me get healthy again. And finding the people that can actually help facilitate that. There's so many guys and girls out there that don't have that. A lot of people mm-hmm. end up joining the military because they have nothing in life. And then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so now I wasn't expecting to deal with these mental demons. Now they're alone dealing with that, right? Uh, but that's there's so many options out there to get help. Um, so that's that's why we're doing this, right? To to raise awareness. So with that, then, Polly, if I'm uh, a listener right now mm-hmm. and I'm interested, I'm mm-hmm. like this OSIS thing sounds great. I need help. Or if I'm like my spouse needs help, how do I go about this? Uh, so you can check out our website, which is www.osis.ca. <laughs> Um, and then when you go on there, it's click to find uh, and connect with your local resource. So we are a national program. So from coast to coast, we have uh, peer support coordinators um, and family peer support coordinators. So everyone has that lived experience. So peer support coordinator would um, be a military member with an OSI. So he has that lived, he or she has that lived experience and is healthy enough to uh, provide peer support and the family is someone who's lived with or lives with someone with an operational stress injury so again it's really about that connection of the lived experience because you know when I um, I had a call today a new peer and you know you're five minutes into the conversation you're kind of talking about you know I just sort of go into a little bit of my story just so that they understand where I'm coming from and and that and they're like oh my god yeah my husband does that too oh oh yeah you know and and you know the end of the conversation was like I'm so glad I talked to you today because it just puts things into perspective and I feel like I have some more resources right and that's just one time right and then you know we're there I always say I'm here till you kick me to the curb right you're here till you don't want me anymore so we're there to walk alongside you we can't do the work for you but we can offer you the resources you know it's our job to know local community resources so you know what is uh, you know maybe uh, the Mental Health Commission of Canada you know what programs do they have going on what does um, Canadian Mental Health associations have going on in Hamilton, London, Windsor, my area is southwestern Ontario so you know I need to know sort of 
what crisis lines are available in each area. Emergency funds. Uh, emergency funds. Um, you know, and, and really when we meet with peers, it's really we're doing, there's no paperwork because again, we're, we're not, you know, we're not clinical. We're there for peer support and, and to listen without judgment and to just see what resources you've tapped into and what resources you might need. And so we're kind of doing this like little mini assessment for lack of a better word in our, in our minds to say, you know, like for instance, when I met Matt, the biggest thing was, okay, he's in this limbo and what does he do? And he has to, you know, he can't go back to Gagetown be, because of this, right? My was frozen too right? at the time. And, and <laughs> oh, you know, man. I was like, okay, I don't have the answer to this question, but I know that my colleague does. So putting the call in and then them picking up the ball and running with it, but me staying there to support Matt and his family as well through it, right? Um, and, you know, it's also about knowing resources through Wounded Warriors and Soldier On and, you know, um, the military family resource center so um and the legion you know is it a financial like there's a lot of times where i meet people and they haven't told their case manager that they're you know they haven't paid mortgage payments or they haven't paid um hydro or something because they're too embarrassed to say that they have these financial issues and so then again it's up to me with their consent to help them advocate and and get those financial help that they may or may not need right and point them to the legion or point them to these emergency funds and say it's okay we're not we're not going to judge you i've been there right so again um you know my kids it's funny because we'll say they'll, they'll be like what did you self-disclose today mom you know because I, I, I always say I'm, I'm a self-discloser but i don't really think people can gain and understand if i'm not willing to give of myself right and and my story and my story wasn't pretty at times um but it's a lot easier to buy into what you're telling me from a non-partisan non-judgmental yeah. perspective that way as well yeah. yeah if you have that type of experience i'm going to feel more comfortable talking to you than if someone's just like yeah you just need to do this it's like have you experienced anything like this but no but i, I know someone who does it's like mm -hmm. okay that's good but someone who's experienced it firsthand is definitely gonna you, you gain that trust a lot more i, I hate mm -hmm. to say it but it's like that 21 year olds out of fresh out of school and it's like i don't know if we're talking about the same life experiences here right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so osis i know there's different opportunities for the family side of things as well as the veteran like group sessions yep so we so we we are a social support program so we provide, um, you know, one-to-one -one support is really how we start. And then if you're interested in groups, we do have groups going on. And, and again, it depends which areas, because again, you know, if you're rural Alberta or rural BC or rural Ontario, for that matter, you might not have that many peers in one place, right? So you might not have as many groups, but, uh, you know, here in Southwestern Ontario, for example, I have five groups prior to COVID going, um, you know, London, Windsor, uh, Kitchener, Cambridge, Hamilton, and Niagara. So, um, what does a group session look like? So a group session is really, again, it depends on, I always say the group is the group's group. <laughs> if that, you know, makes sense to you, um, you know, starting out with groups, um, it's really, we, we have, you know, set of rules. So there's, you know, everything that's set in the group stays in the group again with the confidentiality. Um, there's, uh, no, 
you know, veterans affairs bashing or, or D&D bashing or whatever. We're not there to bring up trauma, so no war porn, uh, as far as mostly the military or veteran members. I've never heard that term before. Um, Are you serious? Yeah. Really? Never. Oh, it's, yeah, it's well known. Maybe it was more, uh, <laughs> 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 maybe it was more that older era. I don't know. But, um... So, so again, nothing that would be triggering for someone else. So, you know, those rules are, are sort of read out at the beginning of the group when there's new people and things like that. Um, and then really it's a check-in, like how, how are you doing? Um, and on the family side, I would say that we do a lot more psychoeducation for the families because, again, they may or may not be engaged in, in counseling themselves. But even with counseling, um, they might not be getting that psychoeducation piece so how what are some tools that you can do to maybe de-escalate or manage your expectations right that's kind of one of my favorite things because I had all these expectations of Sean and he never lived up to them because they were unrealistic given his mental state right but nobody explained that to me right until once I went to a counselor and she said you know we need to do some grief work and I was like no one died like what why am I doing grief work and she's like no no she goes you know the marriage you thought you were gonna have the father you anticipated him being to the children um, you know your partner he's different he's different grief. right yeah, yeah. and so it really I think that really profoundly helped me to to grieve that and to embrace what we have now because you know, if you asked me if I would change anything, I wouldn't, because I wouldn't be where I am today. We wouldn't have the marriage that we have today, and we've been married 29 years, give or take a few. But, you know... Way to age yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, you know, we have survived, our kids have survived. Um, and you're helping other families. And we're helping, helping other families. families. So if that is incredible. Sean has, too. Like, yeah. Uh, Sean's almost a branch, an <laughs> extension too. Like I remember when we first met and, and then it's like eventually ended up meeting Sean. And then I almost felt at ease being like, okay, like she, she I know she said it, but he's willing to meet me too. Like it yeah. really solidifies mm -hmm. that. Right. Um, I, I do have a question about groups again. Yep. Um, you brought up no war porn. Mm -hmm. Um, what as a veteran who hasn't been, if, if I haven't been, I've been so I already know these things, but for, to, to put other veterans at ease, if you will, um, how does that uh, stay regulated, mediated, however you want to word it? So, um, you know, we either have volunteers or the peer support coordinator facilitating the groups themselves. So, again, when I say the group is sort of the group's group, um, it, it may be a check-in group, so they may check in. And, and, again, it's really to provide that hope and that positivity to sort of switch that lens, right? So, you know, somebody might be saying, uh, you know, I'm having a really hard time with my kids and then somebody else might say, oh, well, I've had that kind of and this is what helped me. Right. So it's it's kind of that, you know, again, that peer support piece. But again, you're not giving advice. You're just kind of saying this worked for me. I don't know if you wanted to try that. Right. Um, and then the other piece is is that social aspect. So sometimes it's really about getting people out and about. Right. So, um, you know, getting the group to go to uh I don't know, a bowling night, you know what I mean? Like to get them in a social setting again, right? Um, so that everybody might be out of their comfort zone, but you're together, right? So you're feeling that group cohesion, right? It wouldn't be necessarily something you'd start right away with a group, but it could be, right? Um, so, 
yeah, it's really, um, it really depends on the group. Like, uh, you know, I think every group is yeah. a little different and every facilitator facilitates a little bit differently as well, right? But the core concept is, you know, to bring people together, to get them out of the house. You know, we used to say to get them out of the bunker on the veteran member side, right? Um, and just try to, uh, you know, it might be just the positive thing is that they came out of the house. Yeah. And so this, this is the first time they came out of the house. Sorry, so this is for, the groups are for the veteran? They're for the veteran and the family. And so the we family. have both, yeah. Okay, perfect. And then with your experience, what have you seen with, let's say, attitude or character with when people go in and then from by the time they leave? You see the positive change from when they Can. leave? Yeah, and again, it's it depends on how much you engage, right? How much are you invested in it, right? Yeah. Um, are you going there and keeping on that, you know, sort of negative and mad at the world? Are you going to, you know, open up and sort of take in, you know, everybody's story? Because yeah. again... You know, going to the group, it's not about what rank you were or, you know, what unit you were with or how many tours you did or anything. It's about how did your service, how did what you did when you were in service, how is it affecting your mental health and how is it affecting your day-to-day -day living, right? So it's, it's not about that guy did nine tours, they only did one tour, they did no tours. It's, it's, it's not about that. It's yeah. about how are you today with your mental health right and so it's it's really to me breaking down those barriers right because again sometimes people can get into that right and even on the spousal side it's really again it's my job to facilitate uh the groups and say like we're not here to say you know my husband has worse ptsd than your husband or my husband's only you know um got depression and anxiety he doesn't have PTSD it's, it's not about that it's all under the OSI umbrella and it's how are you coping with day-to-day -day life and uh, how can we make it better I'll give a great example <laughs> that I know from both sides because I've participated in this uh, and my my parents have as well and on both ends we each had times where it was like I would come home and be like I heard a story about this and like that's exactly how I was feeling last week and I thought I was crazy like I thought that I was just an absolute maniac that's out of like lost touch with reality and it's like there's five other guys that are going I just did the same thing and felt the same way and thought the same way and same with my parents they would go and then learn like oh this family is thinking the exact same way and it's like going through the same struggles because they go through the struggles of like what do you do do you cut them off do you go like where do you draw those lines and then it's like oh you guys are going through it so you feel like you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You're not that much. You're not that alienated from society. There are groups of people out there that are going through this stuff together, and it, mm -hmm. it's a, it gives you peace of mind. It doesn't make things alright, obviously, but it kind of yeah. Yeah, I think what it does is it normalizes it, yeah. right? And and it and it is really that peace of not being alone, and that's really sort of you know our slogan is you, you know you're not alone there's a, a lot of people out there that are suffering and many many are suffering in silence because a they don't know how to reach out um they don't know who to reach out to or they've reached out and had maybe not a great experience all i can say with that is try try again it's no different um, than psychotherapy too if you're your doctor one doctor might work with one person not with the other and right there's other yeah you so exactly you right for yourself at some point and there's also the person out there that's going to say someone else needs it more than me 
exactly right and and so it's really about putting yourself first right and 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 putting yourself in what does my wellness journey look like right and for both the member and the family right and then them together right so um it's like when you said that matt that's really what group is all about is to sort of again normalize and to say oh wow that happened to me too i'm not a lunatic I'm not crazy you know this happens and even if you're doing well and then you know you have a slip or you have um, you know a little blip that's what we call it in our thing you know and yeah. the blips years ago would last weeks or months and now the blips last I'm gonna say 30 minutes to an hour at the most if anything and Which we're able to program. we're able to <laughs> You know, we're able to process it. We're able to take accountability, whoever needs to take accountability, and we're able to move past it, right? So, you know, that's the journey. And, and that's all you can do is, is take one day at a time yeah. and move forward, right? And so, to me, OSIS, I look at it as, you know, when, you're, when trauma's diagnosed, it was really like peeling that onion because to get to the trauma, there was a lot of unhealthy coping skills before that, um, which had to be you know, addressed so that he could cognitively take in the coping skills that he needed to take in, right? Um, as well as medications being taken properly and, and different things like that. Self-accountability sucks too. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a process to get through. It, it is. Yeah, and I, I think that's why sometimes it takes people a long time. And I'm, you know, I'm a realist and I like to be really honest with my peers. And I say, this is not going to happen overnight, yeah. you know, and... And when I say, you know, we've been working through this for 20 years, you know, I can honestly say that there was probably some years that Sean wasn't as engaged as he is now in his wellness. However, that's, that was his process. I don't know what your spouse's process is. I'm just trying to manage your expectations of it's going to take time and it mm -hmm. might get worse before it gets better. Here's a group to ride that wave with too. <laughs> exactly, right? And, the, and what, what happens, I find, in group is... People that you never think would, would actually, they would have never met in, in life, you know, and you never thought their personalities would get along, gravitate to each other in group. And then, you know, the whole, for me, it's, it's awesome to watch when people meet outside a group. Oh, I had coffee with so-and-so. Oh, I went and did this. So they're starting that social support and it's, you know, we've planted the seed and they're, they're watering it. They're letting it grow, right? The 158 Podcast is proud to partner with the Helping Heroes Heal Foundation, helping injured and ill first responders, veterans, and military members. Helping Heroes Heal Foundation unites and empowers our nation's heroes through their favorite activities, sports, and adventures. Learn more about how they can support you or how you can lend your support to the foundation by visiting them at helpingheroesheal.ca. When you say spouse to you and family, there's something that... I, I want to add from my own experiences yeah. as well. Like I'm, I'm married to someone that we got together post-service. Um, so she, you brought up before not making connections with people in the military be, on the, the female end of things, being the spouse. Um, and that's kind of what Becky was going through herself too, where it was mm -hmm. like, she didn't really have other people to bounce. I had like bounce any of these things off of. And then was it last summer? Yeah, it was last uh, September. Last, Last September, she ended up going away with OSIS, 
Uh, and it was all spouses. Yeah. How many, there, it was a large group of spouses. We, well. we, yeah, so we, um, we get money every year from support our troops. We have for the past few years. And uh, so Ontario, the Family Peer Support Coordinators, um, it was actually Trenton and Kingston that came up with the idea. And then everybody sort of jumped on board. And we were able to take 82 spouses to Camp Maple Leaf. Wow. Um, and, yeah, it was rustic. Um, <laughs> but we would never get 82 spouses together. Um, and we had a weekend away for a retreat. And it wasn't like, I, I, I obviously wasn't there. However, <laughs> I was told about it. And it's not like uh, you're going in and you're doing a bunch of therapy or anything. No. It was just like, it's this community. As veterans know, once you get together, it's like, you don't even really have to share much. You just, you know that you now have other friends. Yeah. Is there an obstacle course? Or? <laughs> uh, there was, there was a climbing wall. There was <laughs> nice, a climbing wall. Nice. Yeah, yeah. There they was did a arts and crafts wall. too? Yeah, we did arts and crafts. Um, and that yeah. was a weekend, right? It was, was a weekend. weekend. Yeah, so we do, That's again, on the on the family side of things, um, and on, on, the, on the peer side of things, we partner a lot with Soldier On. So we usually have a peer support coordinator that goes to like the ski camps and the golf camps and different things like that, right? So there's, there's peer support there for them. On the family side, it's really we, with this money, we're able to uh, do retreats or do workshops and stuff. Because, you know, what I, you can get lots done in therapy, sure, but in a weekend getting spouses together just that camaraderie and getting away from us and too. getting away <laughs> from you know sometimes usually it's the first time they've been away from their children sometimes it's the first time they've left their spouse so they're really nervous but so is five other peers right mm -hmm. and then there's other peers that are further along in their journey right so no one is at the same necessarily place right so it just embraces right that was becky to a that was, that was cool, man. first time away from our newborn and she was really nervous about going, mm -hmm. and she came back all smiles, and like, it was like she didn't even realize that she was gone away from <laughs> well, and, and, and you know what? I had never met her till like yeah, till she actually right, got yeah. there, right? Yeah. Like we had texted and, and yeah. stuff, but we had never actually physically met. So, and that's again, that's just really what I really what I love about my job is just seeing that that flourish, right? And and being able to be part of of people's wellness journey. And like, there's obviously more things for therapy. Therapy isn't just laying on the doctor's bed talking about your problems. Like what you're describing there is so beneficial where people, you have a small community where people are sharing their experiences, but it's not even just the experiences of what they had within the military or as a spouse or something like that. Just finding things that they have in common with mm -hmm. new people and you know, like that meeting new people and making new friends is therapy as it is. It is. And it's, again, it's, it's, so it's, it's a piece of the puzzle, right? Yeah. So, you know, you have to peel the onion and then you have this puzzle, right? So what pieces fit for you? Part of it is therapy. You know, maybe you're going to the OSI clinic, maybe you're not, maybe you're going to a community provider. Maybe you, you know, need medication as well. That's another puzzle piece. You know, mm -hmm. maybe you have couples counseling. That's another puzzle piece maybe the spouse has individual counseling that's another puzzle piece um you know maybe you've tried one of the wounded warriors um you know programs yeah. cope or something right um so it's it's all part of part of a puzzle that you're kind of trying to fit and nobody's pieces are the same right so again what works for one isn't going to work for the other but i always try to say like try and have an open mind right yeah. and try and try it once at least because try because again you're gonna have that sense of community like you said and 
you know, again, we're trying to get, especially with spouses, we're trying to get them reactivated again. Because I know for myself, I withdrew drew from friends. Um, I didn't go out with my friends or anything like that because I was worried about leaving Sean alone with the boys. All the boys are going to piss him off or he's going to get mad at the boys. You know, um, so I, I did very minimal stuff. Uh, I didn't have any hobbies. You know, I went into depression myself. Um, so, you know, it really, it, it really was a journey for me. And, you know, when a counselor said to me, well, what do you enjoy doing? I'm like, I don't freaking know anymore. I don't know. You know, who am I if I'm not Sean's caregiver, right? And I think that's the the other piece is once they start getting well, we we sometimes notice that spouses sometimes start to to fall a little bit. My, I, I think my father even because because, because you're you're in this survival mode for so many years and you're pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing and then the person starts to get better so what do i do now what where where's my role in this right um you know i used to say i don't want to be your therapist i don't you know i don't want to be your caregiver i want to be your partner well i think i finally am at that stage again and probably have been for about the last five six years which is fantastic um but you know again it's it's myself doing a lot of individual work as well right um and i'm you know i'm a big proponent i i tell people all the time you know you need to try individual therapy you might not think you have anything to process or or unpack in your backpack but we all do so if someone wanted to get in osa like we've talked about hamilton and southern ontario and stuff Mm -hmm. uh what if they were out in newfoundland do they just go to like where would the easiest way other than on the internet is like through vac yeah, so through VAX, so through their case manager, I mean, case, we get referrals through case managers, we get referrals through, through D&D, through the transition centers. Um, they can call our 1-800 number. That's um, right. Make note, Derek, we'll cut this to once you get to the 1-800. Sorry. So they can call the 1-800 number, which <laughs> is 1-800-883-6094. And again then they let them know where they live and then that uh the the person that answers the 1-800 number calls and gives the referral to the appropriate coordinator in that area that in that region. area awesome. in that region yeah mm-hmm. do you have anything else to talk about those uh, so you have a whole sheet there of stuff <laughs> no 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 points? i think i think uh i think i've talked about everything mm-hmm. well i definitely appreciate you being so 100%. open and honest <laughs> absolutely and raw like that's that's the biggest thing with what we were trying to do here is that raw side. Like, this is a reality, and people are living this, and mm-hmm. there are options out there, and it can get better. But like mm-hmm. you said, like you can, nobody's going to do it for you. You need mm-hmm. the support, though, to help kick your ass every now and then to get it, get the ball rolling and get your one yeah. foot in front of the other. Um, and to all those organizations that are out there that are currently serving mm-hmm. or that are veterans and they're raising... Uh, funds for veteran charities such as Wounded Warriors and the Legion and whatnot. You guys are doing great work because it obviously helps Polly with doing her job so that she You guys can kick money over to OSIS if you want it. <laughs> <Right>? No, no, no. <laughs> OSIS, is, uh, OSIS is a government, so we're not a charity. Oh. Um, but again, it's it's really, you know, the Legion does support us. Yeah. Um, they do give us money sometimes for retreats, for workshops. What if someone um, had resources like that? Can they offer up resources for you guys to 
do you like a retreat or something like that? Is that absolutely? We do have we have. Um, uh, I know in uh, another area of Ontario, uh, someone gives cottages every That's year, amazing. donates cottages to have a small retreat. Um, so spouses can, can go and the cost of the accommodations isn't there. Because any retreat, the, the most cost is accommodations, food, and, yeah. and you know, that yeah. kind of stuff, right? So, um, but yeah, it's, you know, really, to me, you talked about stepping stones. I think really that's that's really what we are, um, and we really have pathways to a lot of different um, a lot of different resources. You're a very big well of information, a big yeah. pool of information that yeah, like untapped information. You guys don't know. You guys have an answer for just about everything. And I and I think that you know it's like give us a try, and um, and see you know what we can do for you, um, and. Uh, just just be open to to getting the help as well right because um, there's so many more resources now than there was 20 years ago and um, you know if people don't use resources then the need you know the powers that be maybe say the need is not there right but I think the need is there it's it's just that people are still there's still a little bit of stigma about coming forward and asking for help right and that's 100%. where OSIS, you know, is great with the confidentiality. Um, and, you know, if we do need your consent, then we get your consent. And then, you know, we move through through what we need to move through, right? Um, but it's, it's really about making that first step. So, you know, hopefully we've given you some insight as to we're not this scary organization. <laughs> um, we're just people that have walked the walk and we want to help you. We want to give back. I think being part D&D, part Veterans Affairs might scare some people at first because <laughs> it just it seems too good to be true almost. <laughs> yeah. uh, being tied between those. And for confidentiality reasons, I say yeah. that. Uh, the, the being scared, are they going to share my information yeah. when I tell them? But mm -hmm. it's a very nonpartisan, non-judgmental space. So. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything here? Oh, I was just on the side. Derek was checking our reviews on our podcast. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here's the Jurgen pitch yeah, at the end. Uh, moving it all along. Well, there was something to it. You said to Wardo, I just want to correct him so it's an accurate podcast. He was also ranked for us, too. Oh, yeah, buddy. <laughs> for two days. After my brother. Two days. Back. Come on. <laughs> Seven <laughs> years. Thanks, hey, uh, thank One. you, Polly, for coming in. Oh, yeah, thanks thank for having you. me. Thanks for having me. And thank you for all your hard work. Yeah. Thank your you. sacrifice for Thank you. what you're doing for our veterans and, our, and their families. Thank you. Well, I think to the, any veteran listening to this, or if you're getting value out of this, share it out to someone. This, you know, like this is, this is what a, one of the resource episodes. You know, and, and to help get that out there, the reviews are huge, and you know, really appreciate the reviews that are coming in. Because since we've been asking for it, we're up to, I believe, Derek just checked it. We're 15 reviews and. I know last time I checked the ratings, we're like over 30 or something, but the review is important. That gets us ranked up on iTunes or on uh, Apple Podcast, so so veterans can find us and get get this type of quality resource out there.